what you're about to hear is unsupervised. Welcome into another episode of the Unsupervised Podcast brought to you by the minds behind SB Nation's Stanley Cup of Chowder. I'm Jake Reiser, and this week I'm here alongside Colin Beswick. Colin, how are you doing? Hey, Jake, I'm doing pretty good. Excited to talk some Bruins hockey. Absolutely. we got a lot to talk about today. And we're also here with Adam Denhard. Adam, what's going on? Not too much, Jake. Good to be back. And like Colin, I, I might be excited to talk about it. I think I'm a little more excited to watch some playoffs later this week, but we'll get there. We'll certainly get there. We've got a lot to cover in this episode of uh, Unsupervised, but... To start off, we're going to dive into what happened at the end of the regular season. The Bruins kind of faltering a little bit, um, ending on a sour note with a loss to the Florida Panthers, which secures their place in the standings as number two in the Eastern Conference in the Atlantic Division. They will play the Toronto Maple Leafs in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And guys, what did you make of the end of that season? Was it something that you kind of expected to happen? Were you hoping for a little bit more of a push in the end? Well, it was a little underwhelming for me, um, and I only say that because we know the pieces that were kind of missing from the lineup over the last several weeks. So um, the the surprising excellence that we were seeing kind of came back to earth. It sounded like they had a roughly a 500 record over the last 15 or 16 games. So it was a – I would say it was sober and going into the playoffs, but it is good to know that there's – room for improvement and that there is some time here for the Bruins to, you know, get rested, hopefully get healthier and, and start the playoffs on the right foot. Yeah. I wasn't so much surprised at the overall record over the last 10. Um, I think in a lot of ways they were just playing to not get hurt, you know, at least in some ways uh, I will say the last game, you know, just from a fan perspective, probably stings a little bit where you had the first place in the Eastern conference on the line against a you know, pretty good but not great Panthers team. And the team comes out and it sort of doesn't give 100% for the first two periods. So at the end of the day, I don't know if it's a huge deal, but uh, a frustrating note to end, to end the regular season. But playoffs are here now. Focus for the team is obviously on the playoff matchup and it should be an exciting one too. So There's an interesting theory I saw floating around on Twitter. I don't want to get your guys' reaction to it. Do you think that the Bruins played those last few games to not get hurt? Were they playing timid enough to keep themselves healthy so that way they had all the reinforcements they needed and they were already comfortable with the matchup they had? I don't know if it was necessarily strategically doing that, but I I do think the their style of play was a little bit different, whether it's because they had players hurt like Riley Nash and Rick Nash, Sean Corrali. Um, I think a lot of it really had to do with just fatigue, I think they've played pretty much every other night in some cases back-to-back for the last month. And if uh, memory serves me correctly, they've had the busiest schedule in the back half of the regular season. So between injuries and their scheduling, I'm sure, frankly, just general fatigue has caught up to them. Um, thankfully, we have a few days rest here before the playoffs start. Yeah, I, I wouldn't put it too much on fatigue, though. It's definitely been a, a busy schedule for them in the second half. I, I think that Cassidy has been staying on message. And, and I, by that, I mean, you don't want to push the team too hard, leaning forward on the ice and trying to get, you know, all this, all the goals to 
win games um, late if it's going to cost them playing more uh, more poorly on defense. So if if anything, I th- I saw a similar effort. I saw some great forechecking from the fourth line once they got you know a little more put back together. That they're still missing Sean Corrali. Um, I think I think it's more a product of them trying to stay within their system and not pick up some bad habits the week before the playoffs start. I think that's really interesting. I mean, Bruce Cassidy really has been on message off season about the habits that they've picked up. So I wonder if you may be right, and it's just different players and different configurations getting adjusted to it. And Colin, you were very much on point that the next three days as having off days, they had one of the busiest back ends of the entire season with games every other day, I, I believe for the entire month of March. So Having three days off should be a godsend for them. Speaking of within these three days, we already have some good news about a player who could be returning to the lineup, and that's Rick Nash. He seemed to be skating over the last few days, and Bruce Cassidy gave an update saying he could very well be ready for game one. Where do you guys slot him into the lineup? Uh, I'd put him right back in with Krejci, at least to start, uh, provided that he's been rehabbing strongly. If he's under the weather still or not at 100%, I mean, it is playoff hockey, so I'd be surprised if he wasn't playing somewhere above 80, 85% at least. Um, And I think he'd match up well with Krejci again. You know, he's, he's a heavy presence on that line and has the great net front hand eye skill to put in the rebounds from the surprisingly hard shots that Jake DeBrusque has been putting on that. Yeah. We did a a lineup post on the website uh, earlier today. We all talked about this to me. The right wing is below um, the first line are really interchangeable at this point, depending on matchup. I could see him on the second line to Adam's point uh, or even on the third line. Um, you know, the way this team's been playing is sort of a cop-out for an answer, but uh, when their game is on, you can pretty much slot players in on any line in any situation, and they uh, will produce. I actually like, for the most part, what I've seen from Ryan Donato and the reason I would consider putting Donato on the second line instead of uh, Rick Nash is just I'm not sure that Donato has a skill set that's suited more for a third-line role or a fourth-line role at this point, whereas Rick Nash uh, is pretty strong defensively, can play both penalty kill and power play. But at the end of the day, uh, like I said, you can really you can slot them in anywhere up and down the lineup. You still have David Backus can play on the right wing. So it should be interesting. But again, to Adam's point, how healthy Rick Nash is and how comfortable he is coming back after a pretty prolonged uh, absence is going to be a, a key factor. Well, you also have to consider too that, um, and not to jump the gun on you, Jake, but we could get Riley Nash and Sean Corrali back. So it's hard to drop one player in when there are several people that you'd have to pull out. You know, Bruce Cassidy certainly has a lot of decisions to make. And that actually becomes a good segue into our next segment, talking about uh, the first-round matchup in and of itself, the Toronto Maple Leafs. They're an incredibly talented and deep team. Austin Matthews is finally healthy, so we'll be able to have a Bergeron-Austin Matthews matchup. The regular season series didn't necessarily go the Bruins' way. Um, What do you guys make of facing Toronto? I I think the Bergeron-Matthews matchup is a good storyline. I think personally that Bergeron is going to control 
I wouldn't say dominate, but I think he's going to control that matchup just because he is the best at what he does. And, you know, Matthews is a good defensive forward too, but they're not going to be meeting so much in Matthews' defensive zone as Bergeron is going to be finding Matthews in the Bruins' defensive zone. And so I think that's going to be – I don't want to call it neutralized because, you know, everybody's going to have chances. It is a hockey game, but I think Bergeron's going to control that. I think the pressure – uh, for me, is going to be on Pasternak and Marshawn as wingers to make it a lot harder for Matthews' wingers to get the puck. Um, and, you know, they've been doing a great job of distributing point production, but I think it's going to be a little more focused on playing good wing D and receiving, being ready to receive the, the shorter pass from Bergeron and not so much looking for stretch passes to try and, you know, get breakaways or anything like that. So the the big name is obviously, you know, Matthews and you're looking at the matchup and to Adam's point, you know, the Bruins are blessed to have Patrice Bergeron on the first line who can shut down pretty much any other uh, offensive players. But in the last few matchups, Mike Babcock made it a point of trying to get the cadre line out against uh, Patrice Bergeron's line, leaving Austin Matthews to sort of feast on lesser competition. So it'll be interesting to see if, if Babcock continues that matchup because in the first two games of the season Bergeron's line just absolutely stymied the Austin Matthews line so there'll definitely be a bit of uh, chess pieces going back and forth between Babcock and uh, Bruce Cassidy which is something I'm really looking forward to seeing yeah yeah to kind of walk back not not to step over anyone either but to walk back through the head-to-head matchups throughout the season as Colin you were talking about past performances let's go back to game one that they played um November 10th, they were the start of a back-to-back, which was an overtime loss that the Bruins had the lead going into the last minute of the third period and gave up a goal. And then uh, Pasternak turned over in overtime, no David Backus, and it led to an overtime defeat. The game two, um, November 11th, that was the only really wholehearted defeat the Bruins had. They got a lot of shots on that, but Curtis McElhaney just happened to be really hot that night. And the only goal the Bruins got what seemed to be kind of fluky was a Tory Krug shot and one of the lone Frank Vetrano goals of the season as a member of the Boston Bruins. Uh, game three happened to be a win without Brad Marchand, and there was a lot on special teams. There were a few power play goals in the mix there for a 4-1 victory on February 3rd. And then lastly, and most recently on February 24th, the con- most contentious one being that it was tied at three late, and Zach Hyman uh, did not get a goalie interference call with Charlie McAvoy and Tuka Rask, and Ron Hainsey scored to give the Maple Leafs a 4-3 victory. So there are certainly a lot of things to talk about as far as um, the head-to-head matchups throughout the season, but the fact that most of those games were very close says a lot about what I think this season series is going to be like going into the playoffs. Yeah, one of the things, too, as exciting as the four regular season matchups were, I was lucky enough to cover two of them, and they were both uh, great games and different ways but if you look at the first two games of the season uh, two matchups the the Bruins lineup is almost night day different outside of you know the top line and for the most part their defense pairs you had Paul Postma you had Matt Bolesky Frank Vetrano uh, all these players are no longer even on the Bruins roster or AHL roster so um, as great as it is to look at the, the head-to-head matchup between injuries with you know Matthews and Marshy and both is missing matchups as well as just general roster turnover this will be a very interesting game one just to see once the puck drops 
you know, how the two teams match up at full strength, uh, hopefully, with everyone back. Yeah, the matchups is going to be an interesting scenario, too. I mean, we, we talked about Matthews and Bergeron, and, and I mentioned that the wingers have to be on, on their game. And, and to your point, too, that we could see Babcock making those changes and getting the Kadri line out there instead against Bergeron, which could be risky to leave the Matthews line unchecked, but then you have to remember that as long as the, you know, the, the prognosis is as good as Cassidy has said it is, and Riley Nash comes back, I have pretty strong confidence in him to at least be a formidable force against the Matthews line, especially Matthews himself. Um, what is worrying me a little bit is if, is the defensive matchups that they're going to get and whether or not James Van Riemsdyk is going to get the abuse that he uh, should earn in front of the Bruins net and whether or not it's going to draw Chara and McAvoy away from the Matthews line or whether or not Kevin Miller is going to get tasked with that. What do you guys think? I think that Kevin Miller might actually get tasked with that. I think he's a guy who can get very physical. He can handle big body presences. We always worry about him being a little bit of a glass doll as far as injuries and the way he can carry himself sometimes. But I think Kevin Miller has certainly earned the right to play big minutes against a really talented forward like Van Riemsdyk. Yeah, Miller's certainly shown he can handle just about anything that's been thrown on him this year. He's really had a, a standout season. And uh, it's playoffs and, you know, against a team like Toronto, they have offensive skill on pretty much all of their lines. They're very deep offensively at the forward position. Um, so it's going to be a tall task for the Bruins' defensive pairs, but they've shown they are up for this season. They're one of the top defensive teams in the league, I believe fourth overall this season. So should be exciting. There is one change to the Bruins' defense that I want to highlight that I think is going to make a difference uh, between what happened in the regular season and the playoffs, and that's the absence of Brandon Carlow. For at least two of these games, and for one of them, Brandon Carlow even admitted it himself, he seemed to be the Achilles heel for it between uh, mishandling a puck or making a bad turnover or just happen- happening to be in the wrong place at the wrong time to have a puck deflect off him and in the net. What does Brandon Carlo's lack of presence in the lineup due to injury mean to this defense? Well, I'm personally excited. I think I mentioned it on our inaugural episode, but I'm glad to be able to see the Krug and Miller pairing uh, get some significant time together. Um, and I think that, you know, they having Chara and McAvoy back, Brandon Carlo on the second line with Tori Krug was still a little bit of a liability, and Krug was the one that had to make up for some of those deficiencies. So now having a pretty solid partner in Kevin Miller and having Grizzlick and McQuaid on the third pair with hopefully Nick Holden staying in the seventh defenseman, at least in my opinion, I think Grizzlick and McQuaid are the better or more consistent options at this point. Um, the absence of Carlo definitely is going to hurt because of his size of his, you know, the way in which he's been developing over the last couple of years, but I don't think it hurts us as badly as, as you might think. I think with Carlo and and I've been vocal about it too, where I think a lot of the criticism about his game this year has been a little harsher than should be. I think that he, you know, he's a young kid and he certainly has benefit in the lineup. But on the flip side of that, when Carlo has an off night, he really has an off night. And in a close playoff matchup like this, um, that's the sort of thing that can lose you a game. 
he actually got benched to Jake's point earlier for the last like eight or nine minutes of one of those matchups uh, against Toronto earlier this year. Now, I wouldn't say I'd expect that, but, um, you know, having a young defenseman and, and literally it would have been his first playoff uh, experience can be an X factor one way or the other. Thankfully, the Bruins have defensive depth with Holden and McQuaid. And to Adam's point, I agree personally as well. I, I think the McQuaid, Grizzlick pair is the way to go. Holden's a, you know, fine defensive uh, depth player, but, you know, I'd prefer to see him as a seventh defenseman. Yeah, you bring up another concern too that, you know, and it's unfortunate for his development, but Brendan Carlos still hasn't played in a playoff game. And, you know, same for Matt Grizzlick, I guess, unless he, if I'm misremembering him, he got a little bit of time in the Ottawa series last year. But, you know, having the experience on defense this year, even Charlie McAvoy had a pretty good series in the, in the spring last year. So I think that's a, a positive for us. And there's no question that this is too harass and not to lose. What's been a storyline all year is who's got the net. Is Anton Kudobin playing well enough to take it from Tuka Rask? What is going on in that? Why is Bruce Cassidy making these decisions from time to time? But this is very clearly Tuka Rask's series. Absolutely, yeah. It, it would be a shock to me if even in a, uh, even in a, a difficult game where Tuka has a rough night that they would take him out because he's in those cases, he's shown some pretty strong mental fortitude in, in bouncing back from a bad goal or, uh, or a collision or, or whatever it might be uh, with the exception of, you know, taking his blocker to Corey Conacher's face. I think he was pretty level-headed through the, a lot of the regular season. And so it, that's the kind of thing that you want to see in a starter is somebody who's going to be able to roll with punches of a playoff game, uh, pun intended, hopefully no punches to or from to the rest. <laughs> Yeah, it should go without saying, really, at this point, uh, it's too good, isn't it? Um, that being said, it, it certainly doesn't hurt to have a backup in Hudobin, who has, at times, looked like a, a borderline starter in the NHL. Um, so it's always a, a benefit to have someone like that. But uh, as we all fully expect, Tuka will be the, the starter. And, you know, if his playoff track record is anything to go off of, he's been a, a pretty strong playoff performer, despite narratives that you may hear here and there. So... Um, as any playoff series goes, the goaltending is going to be huge for both teams. You know, I feel bad really having to even bring up that point because there have been so many people this season who have stuck up for Anton Kudobin and have put down Rask as someone who can't step up in big performances. But I think if you look at his numbers, in this case, past performance can certainly be an indicator of future performance. So we'll see how it all goes. But just to kind of finish it off, uh, we've talked a little bit about the forwards, a little bit about the defense, a little bit about the goaltending. What do you guys think is going to happen in this series? Are, is Toronto going to exercise those demons or will the ghosts of Patrice Bergeron and Milan Lucic and that amazing 4-1 to game in 2013 haunt them enough to give the Bruins a win? Well, I'm going to say that the we, are, we hear the echo year after year that the playoffs are a new season, and I'm going to try not to apply that. Uh, that filter from 2013 to to these playoffs. I think the Bruins are going to win it in fewer than seven games. Um, I put six on it, but I think five isn't unreasonable either. Uh, they are playing against Mike Babcock's Leafs, so it's going to be a tough out no matter what. Uh, but I think the, the Toronto defensive liabilities are going to be pretty obvious 
early on in the series. Maybe not in game one when the adrenaline is, you know, at its peak, but as they get settled into a, a you know, a, a playoff series, I think it's going to be the Bruins to control, and I think the Bruins are going to control it. I agree with Adam on most points. Uh, the X factor in this series on paper should definitely be uh, Toronto's relative weakness in the defensive zone. We'll see if the Bruins offense can take advantage of that. Um, I do expect the Bruins to win. However, I, I do think it's going to be a long series. Um, you know, I think the Bruins are the better team in just about, you know, any measure. Uh, but again, I have a ton of respect for, you know, the skill that's on the Leafs team, their coaching staff. And I don't think it's going to be easy if the previous four games are any indication. It'll probably be hard fought, close games, you know, the majority of, of the time. Um, but it just seems to me the Bruins have been so good all year. And even though they've scuffled a little bit you know, to finish out the season, if they are anywhere near the team they were for the most of the regular season, even against, a, you know, a very good Maple Leafs team, they should be the ones emerging at the end of the series, moving on to the second round. Hear me out. This is going to be a little contentious. I'm going to go hard set on Bruins in five. And here's why. Mike Babcock is a fantastic coach. I will give him a lot of credit. And the Maple Leafs are a very good team. Mike Babcock is a very micromanaging coach. And he will try and tweak every little thing he has control over, which I think will give the Bruins a chance to exploit a lot of weaknesses, a lot of little things. The Bruins, Bruce Cassidy, he trusts his guys a lot. I think that there are certain habits that he's put in them that are really good, and he's got strong systems that are in place. But he trusts his players to go and do the right thing. I think that even for a young team, he's certainly less micromanaging than Mike Babcock is. Uh, Frederick Anderson has been very overworked this season. I was talking with someone who's familiar with the Toronto Maple Leafs as also we will talk with someone a lot more familiar with the Toronto Maple Leafs later in this podcast. They think Frederick Anderson is overworked and that it's going to really make a difference for him, whether he's going to stand tall or look really out of focus and and out of shape in the playoffs. I think it's going to be the latter. I think that he's going to look completely out of place. It's going to be very hard for him to adjust, especially with how tough these playoffs matchups are going to be. And I think they're going to be close games. Colin, you're not wrong. They're going to be close games. But I think that the Bruins have just that many more advantages where they'll be able to take it within five games. Yeah, that's... Well, Bruins, oh, go ahead, Colin. Say Bruins fans certainly, uh, certainly hope your prediction comes true either way. Like you said, whether it's in four, five, six, or seven, I don't expect any blowout games from either team. Like I said, these, these teams are, are pretty evenly matched on special teams, uh, on offense, the, really the only large gap between them is the Bruins' defense is significantly better, both statistically as well as in terms of personnel, you know, one through six. So if there's a weakness to expose for the Maple Leafs, uh, the Bruins' forwards certainly have the opportunity to do so against Toronto's defense. And the only comment I was going to add to Jake, I think that's a really interesting contrast to make between the coaching styles of the teams. And I think you're right that Mike Babcock is a – is a micromanaging coach just in the terms of the fact that he thinks everything in such great detail. Um, and so I think it's going to be difficult for him to, you know, he has players he can trust, but you can only play the same five players so many minutes a night. Um, and yeah, he's not limited to just five, but if he has to shorten his bench up, that's going to definitely work in the Bruins favor and, and to Cassidy's strengths, you know, if Babcock starts to micromanage how Toronto was playing, then, 
the Bruins just have a little bit more, uh, a little bit less hesitancy to be creative and, you know, not adventurous, but creative in that they want to try and back the defense off and work the puck back to the point like they have been doing you know, pretty successfully this year. So another point, just to play devil's advocate a little bit here, is if you look at Frederick Anderson's career numbers against the Bruins, you may be surprised to see just how strong they are. And granted, it's not all. Most of them aren't with the Maple Leafs. But uh, over his career, he has won 10 of 11 games against the Bruins with uh, Sterling 935 save percentage as well. And again, it's hard to compare different teams uh, in different seasons. But when Frederick Anderson is on, he can be a very, very good goaltender. But to Jake's point, he certainly played a lot of games, and uh, we'll see if he can bring it in playoffs. And to kind of combat that as well, the only game that the Bruins really got dominated in, Curtis McElhaney was in that. It wasn't Frederick Anderson. So I think that they'll be able to use that to their advantage. And, you know, speaking a lot about the Toronto Maple Leafs, we're going to bring in an expert right now to talk a little bit more about the team from their perspective. Give this a listen. Welcome on in to our guest segment here on Unsupervised. We are joined by a member of Pension Plan Puppets, Hardev Lad. He's going to be talking with us about the least perspective of this amazing first round draw that the Boston Bruins have. And we'll just get right into it. Hardev, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys? We're doing great over here. It's myself and Colin Beswick uh, that's going to be talking to you today. Hey, Hardev. So, so let's Hello. get started. Um the Leafs, uh, how do they look coming into the playoffs? We uh, face each other a few times in the regular season, the Bruins and the Maple Leafs, the last time being in late February. What have the Leafs sort of done towards the home stretch into this first round? I will say that ever since that game against Boston, um, the Leafs have looked like a different team. They've uh, introduced a couple younger players, uh, Kasperi Kapanen and uh, Travis Dermott, as well as Andreas Janssen in spurts. Um, and as a result, their forward group has gone from a group with like Matt Martin and uh, some a lot slower guys like Dominic Moore as well uh, into a group that's a, a very fast and very, uh, very exciting to watch. Um, they roll all four of their lines pretty much as often as they can, matching up against the opponents' top lines generally with uh, Naz- Nazem Kadri's group of uh, Kadri, Patrick Marlowe, and now with it, uh, Mitch Marner. Uh, he got moved from the third line with uh, James Ryan Riemsdyk and uh, Tyler Bozak up to the Kadri line. And that that group has been uh, pretty, pretty, really good um, since uh, that group has been put together sometime in February. Uh, as well, like, the, the power play has uh, really improved since that time as well. Uh, the Mitch Marner and uh, James Ryan Riemsdyk uh, group have uh, have been really, really, really impressive. They've They've turned the Leafs into one of the top power plays in the league uh, since um, they started clicking almost around the same time, uh, mid, mid, mid February, late February. Uh, they've been incredible. Um, they've sort of slowed down in the last couple of weeks, but in that time, um, Austin Matthews has returned from injury and he's come in and that power play has started to click again. Um, that the second, the least have, uh, the least have two power play units that they can, they can kind of think of as uh, two number one units. They have uh, Mitch Marner and uh, James Van Riemsdyk uh, controlling the first power play unit, and then uh, William Nylander and Austin Matthews on the second unit. And those four players have been uh, 
basically running that, sh uh, running those shows uh, separately um, pretty much since um, early February, mid February. It's been, it's been great to see. And so kind of looking at the Maple Leafs as a whole, there's one sticking point that I think Bruins fans are looking for. And that's a uh, goaltender, Frederick Anderson, between his time in Anaheim and his time at the Maple Leafs, he's been an absolute monster in net against the Bruins, but he's been used a lot this season. It's been tough, even with having backup Curtis McElhaney in net. Do you yeah. think that Frederick Anderson has been overused this season? And how do you think the amount of games he's played is going to affect him coming down into the playoffs? I will say he played a lot to start the year for the first, like one half year, half of the year two-thirds of the year, but ever since then, um, since the Leafs sort of realized, okay, we're starting to, we're pretty much locked into the spot. The only team that's around us is Florida and Boston, of course, above us, uh, and Tampa as well. Um, Babcock has started to um, rest um, Anderson a lot. He's get, He's been getting like five, four or five days off several times in the past month or so, um, in the past like month and a half. Uh, he has five days off before game one of the playoffs. Um, he had five days off at the beginning of the month as well. As well and again, uh, in like mid-March, he's been getting a lot of rest late in the season, which I think has been really helpful for him. Um, in order for, like, it's been very helpful for him to go uh, do long stretches of games and then a, a long break and then another long stretch of games and then a bit of a longer break. Uh, it's been very helpful for him. He's He looks fresh. I think the narrative that came about sometime around game like... 60, 55 ish that uh, I think the Leafs heard that. And I think they uh, made a little bit of an adjustment uh, with, uh, with respect to it. Uh, Curtis McElhinney has been, uh, he's been uh, incredibly like, surprisingly incredible uh, since uh, he's been given a bit more, a few more starts, even as, in the backup role, he's been, he's been very good. Uh, despite like, and uh, he's played 18 games to start the, for the first, like m the majority of the year, he only had a handful of games, but uh in the back half, he's really uh, started to play more, and he's actually looked good in those games. Uh, not to say that he's going to get any starts in the playoffs. Of course, he won't. But uh, him playing well has really helped the Leafs um, feel better about resting Anderson late in the season when I think it's uh, most important. Yeah, so it's a pretty similar dynamic to what the Bruins have in their number one with Tuka Rask. They've been able to give him a little more rest than he's used to in the past couple seasons because they've had a strong backup in Anton Hudobin. Uh, there's no doubt that the goaltenders are going to be a huge component in the first round matchup. Uh, yeah. Flipping the, the script a little bit. If you had to take a look at the Toronto Maple Leafs and pick perhaps what the biggest weakness as a team uh, they may have, what, what would you say that would be? Um, I will say the defense in the, in their own zone can be spotty at times. Uh, Roman Polak and Connor Carrick have, clearly been the six and seven defensemen. Um, I think a lot of Leaf fans would prefer to have someone else above both of them, but there frankly isn't anyone there. Uh, Travis Dermott has, uh, since his debut uh, in mid-February or late January, I can't remember when, um, he's been very good uh, in the offensive and neutral zone. He's very good at stopping uh, plays uh, coming into his own zone, uh, negating his own entries, but he also has his um, limitations in the defensive zone. He's, um, he's he has a very good two way game, but um, I think the luster of him of his debut has uh, worn off a little bit, and he's starting to get a little bit more settled in the um, in the lineup and been forced to play sometimes uh, in the top four 
depending on injuries or whatever. Um, Ron Hainsey has played um, a lot of the penalty kill. I think he's uh, up there with I, – I would compare him to Zidane Ochara in, in terms of usage. Uh, I, re- I remember reading earlier that um, him and Chara both played a lot on the penalty kill. Almost They almost stay out for the entire time. And uh, for a 36-year-old, I think he is, um, I hope it doesn't wear him down, but uh, he has uh, – he hasn't been quite the same as he was in the first 50 something games of the year. He's starting to uh, wane a little bit. And I think uh, Lee fans are a little uh, worried about that since he does play uh, first pair of minutes with uh, Morgan Riley. Um, Nikita Zaitsev, uh, I'm going to go through pretty much the entire defensive core at this point. Uh, Nikita Zaitsev, uh, since getting his $4.5 million contract for seven years, uh, has been um, a fraction of what we saw out of him last year. Um He's still good. He's still decent, but uh, defensively, he he lets he gives up a fair few amount of shots, uh, paired up with uh, Jake Gardner. Um, as a whole, I think that defensive group is uh, a little weak. But I will say that the forwards have done a good job of coming back and supporting and helping out. Uh, the Leafs have uh, several really good, um, well, like really responsible forwards in uh, Leo Komarov, uh, Zach Hyman, Connor Brown, and Patrick Marlowe. Um, they've done a good job of coming back. They're spread out across all four lines. Um, and I think they've uh, done a good job of keeping uh, everything settled and keeping everything uh, pretty uh, – they've been helping out the defense uh, a lot. Um, um, that's been something that I think uh, the Leafs have realized, um, that they need help on the defense from the offense. And uh, it's worked to a, a pretty good um, extent. Looking forward to the playoff matchup against the Bruins – from a Leafs fan's perspective, what do you think of the Bruins, and what are you looking forward to most in this playoff series? Um, first of all, I'm looking for revenge uh, for 2013. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was uh, something we still think about a lot. Um, I will say that uh, since us losing that, uh, we had a couple bad seasons, but uh, I think uh, overall it's it's come out pretty good on our end, um, considering we have uh, the young players that we do. Uh, I'm glad about that, but at the same time, uh, I-, I would like to I would like to uh, kill that dragon, uh, as uh, some people in Toronto <laughs> would like to say. Um, looking at Boston, um, I do see a team that, um, just from my point of view, I could be wrong. I probably am, but uh, a team that's uh, top six heavy. Um, the the top, bottom six is uh, I don't know them very well, but um, they they seem to be pretty capable of uh, stepping up in the lineup when needed. Um, they've, they've been dealt, they've been dealing with a, a ton of injuries, um, all up and down the lineup all season. So, um, that's very commendable. Um, but I, I will say that when the two teams are at their, like right now at this point, uh, both teams dealing with, in, with injuries, Boston more so than Toronto, I will say that Toronto's forward group is probably better. Um, but Boston defense might be a little stronger. Um, I'm not sure. Um, who's that defense, who was that defenseman who got injured late in the season? Uh, it was a pretty bad injury. Brandon Carlo. Oh, Brandon Carlo. Brandan Carlo. Yeah, um, that might be a. Is that that feels like a big deal, um, a big loss on uh, Boston's uh, back end. I think normally it would be, but this team has has had just about every player at some point yeah. or other this season has gone down, yeah. and they've found mm-hmm. a way to to win nonetheless. So I have sort of a two part question for you. Uh, the sure. first is, um, how much stock do you take in the four previous matchups this year? Um, and the second part is, uh, 
with so many younger players, I mean, you'd have Patrick Marlowe and a few veterans who've been around for a while, but do you worry about the youth in a playoff series going forward? Um, to answer the first part of the question, um, I don't really. Um, the Leafs look, Leafs were very, they, they seem very lost um, back in November and December, uh, heading into uh, to January. Um, they were playing a lineup that was pretty much what the last year's lineup was, and it's, it wasn't working anymore. As good as it was last year, it wasn't working. They had uh, Mitch Marner with Javier and Bozak, and that just that magic has started that started to wane. Um, they had Leo Komarov on the on the second line with Kadri, and that was that was becoming an offensive black hole. So they made a couple changes. They put Komarov on the fourth line as more of a checker, more of an energy guy, and he's been doing well there. But they put Connor Brown on the third line, and he's made that third line with uh, Bozak and Javier a bit more well rounded. And they put and they moved uh, Marner up to the second line. And I think those three changes have really, really changed the dynamic of the Leafs team. Um, I will, I do remember that uh, Austin Matthews was injured for um, one of those games. And um, I think William Nylander played center that night, or it could have been Patrick Marlowe. But either way, um, yeah, yeah a team without Austin Matthews isn't, isn't, isn't the same team as uh, one with Austin Matthews. Um, to yeah. answer, yes, yeah, sorry. I say absolutely. I know Matthews missed game the third game of the season, and Marche yeah. missed, I believe, the fourth. Uh, yeah. So that's why I asked because the the yeah. rosters are quite different from when they first played. Um, I do agree. We talked about it earlier in that you know Matt Bolesky and Frank Vitrano and all these players who aren't even on the Bruins anymore were were yeah. played big parts in those games. So it's kind of hard yeah. to look back at those and take too much stock in it. And the and the Leafs also bought a. Uh, uh, Thomas Mechanics from Montreal, and they're using him as a fourth-line center, even though he should be probably higher up in the lineup on any other team. So um, the lineups now are, are much different from what they were uh, when we played each other. And to answer the second part of your question, um, I think the group of rookies, I think the seven rookies that we started with last year, um, they, the, the big three, of course, Austin Matthews, William Nylander, Mitch Marner, um, I don't really worry about them uh, at all. I think they've they've uh, established themselves as uh, bona fide NHLers who um, are pros. They don't. Uh, I don't. I don't. I'm not worried about them slowing down or feeling tired or anything that like that. They're they're very well conditioned. Um, sometimes it might just be a bit of a, a little bit of emotion or something like that that could uh, keep them from playing at their best. Uh, I know William Nylander has a penchant for that, but. Uh, Going for the like talking about the other uh, rookies, uh, Zach Hyman and Connor Brown. They're 25 years old and 24 years old respectively. Nikita Zaitsev is uh, 26. They're not. They were technically rookies because it was their first season, but they've been playing in uh, pro leagues for a while uh, up until that point. So they're 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 very much settled into the NHL. Um, I don't think of them as rookies or sophomores uh, at all very much. Um, the rookies that are are in the lineup that are like real rookies are. Uh, Andreas Janssen, Kasperi Kapanen, and uh, Travis Dermott. Uh, those three, yes. Um, I will be a little bit um, – I think Babcock will be a little bit uh, light with them. I think he, he might take them out of the lineup if, uh, if they do feel overwhelmed. But they are playing third pair and fourth line roles, so uh, it shouldn't be too much of a big, of a big deal. They both have uh, competent veterans with them on their respective lines and pairings. So um, as a whole, I think uh, – they, they're they're very sheltered. I think they're going to be 
uh, okay. One last question for you. What's your prediction for the series? Uh, well, it's got to go seven games, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> these, two are, these two teams are uh, – they both have their pros. They both have their cons. Um, I think at the end of the day, this is going to be a bit of a – it's going to be a war. Um, I don't know. I, I, as a Leaf fan, I have to say Leafs in seven. But uh, I guess that's my uh, prediction. <laughs> it's going to be, be fun. Yeah, it's going to be gonna a great be, series. Oh, man. Absolutely. I think it's going to be a firepowered series all the way. Uh, we yeah, thank you for yeah. joining us. Uh, listeners, you can catch Hardev on his Twitter, at HardevLad. Uh, you can also catch him writing for Pension Plan Puppets and for Raw Charge as well. Uh, Hardev, we thank you for joining us here tonight. Thank you. Uh, uh, this was a pleasure. And we're back. Now we're going to kind of open it up to the league as a whole. Um, there are some amazing matchups out there within the first round. Some teams who just squeaked into the playoffs on game 82. What do you guys consider your favorite matchup aside from Bruins Maple Leafs? I'll take that first. Uh, for me, uh, the one I'm looking forward to the most, uh, there's really two, but the one that really jumps out to me is the Pittsburgh-Philadelphia game. And you know, There have been some pretty classic battles throughout the year it's between those two rivals. And both of them are pretty evenly matched this year. You have serious star power with Giroux and Couturier versus Malkin and Crosby. And it's just hard to imagine that's going to be a series that uh, disappoints. I'm really excited to see that. And out in the West, too, a few years back, this would have seemed like a weird matchup. But I'm really excited to see the Nashville, excuse me, the the Nashville-Colorado matchup as well. I don't think anyone expected Colorado to sneak into the playoffs this year. But it's been really exciting watching them get in last minute here against, you know, a really good Nashville team. So I'll have my eyes on both of those series to start. Yeah, you have my East pick as well. I think other than obviously I'll be paying pretty close attention to Boston, Toronto, but um, Pittsburgh and Philly. If if for no other reason, then I get to stick it to my college roommate who is uh, from Philadelphia and roots for the Flyers every time we're playing against them. So it's uh, it's going to be a great series. He definitely told me that he feels a little nervous about it with good reason, because I think Pittsburgh is probably going to take that one. But um, in the West for me, call me old fashioned, maybe, but I think the ducks and the shark series is going to be the most entertaining. I think overall for the first round, you know, we talk about the matchups that Boston and Toronto have and the star power in Philly and Pittsburgh, but the, I hesitate to call it the old guard in the Western Conference, but those two teams have been, you know, locking themselves in epic playoff matches since, you know, Anaheim won the Cup in, in 07, you know, 11 years ago. So it's it's going to be, I think, the most interesting first-round matchup to watch. Yeah, speaking of the old guard, uh, sort of have the, a little bit of the old and the new with the Los Angeles Kings going up the, the Vegas Knights, too. And if I had to pick another first-round matchup, uh, I'm really curious to see how that shakes out. I know there's a large contingent of fans and media members who still haven't really bought into the Vegas Knights' success this year. And even myself, I'm a little bit uh, on the edge. I mean, they're obviously very talented, but the playoffs can be a whole different uh, animal against a surprising Los Angeles Kings team that in recent years has sort of fallen off but has come storming back with, you know, Kopitar being a MVP candidate potentially and so that one is uh, intriguing to me for sort of different reasons than uh, traditional 
playoff matchups. Who would you say is going to take that series, Colin? Who do you think? Uh, I was looking at this earlier, and I got to be honest, I gave this one more thought than I'd care to admit. Um, <laughs> just as someone who takes, you know, who appreciates statistics and everything, uh, it's hard to discount a team that's performed as well as the Las Vegas Knights have. But uh, my gut, which is, uh, you know, is what it is. But uh, actually, I think the Kings might uh, win that first round matchup and sort of shock the hockey world this year. I think it's great. We all are looking at the same Eastern Conference matchups. I think that someone's going to walk away in handcuffs between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. That is going to get feisty. It's going to get fiery. It is going to get extremely passionate. It's an incredible rivalry to watch. Evgeny Malkin's going to go around slashing everyone between Sean Couturier and Claude Giroux. It's going to be incredibly, incredibly feisty and hard fought. Um, I'm actually going to pick Philadelphia to win that one. I think you got to ride the hot hand there. And as much as Pittsburgh has kind of written the hot hand going into the playoffs to win the last two Stanley Cups. I think Philadelphia just looks a lot stronger right now. As, even with goaltending, I don't think that um, Pittsburgh's goaltending situation is as strong as it was last year. So give me Philadelphia in seven there. Um, between Vegas and Los Angeles, that was the one I was most excited for out west. Vegas does so well when they play with speed, when they play with energy, when they're skating, they're moving the puck fast. But Los Angeles, between Dustin Brown and Anze Kopitar and Drew Doughty, you are going to get bullied and thrown around the ice. And so it is going to be a matchup for the ages. I like Vegas in seven just because I really love the storyline of Vegas coming into the playoffs as a new team, winning the Pacific Pacific Division, going at it strong and showing that they can really compete with the best of the best. So, yeah, that's going to uh, be a, a rude introduction for Vegas into the playoffs for sure. I had, um, I think I had Vegas winning it too, but it was going to be a six or seven game series. Is there any matchups you both look at and say, this is an easy win for team X or team Y? I actually called that the Preds are going to sweep the avalanche um, and fight me on it if you will. But I, I don't know with that, without Varlamov in Colorado um, and having to start Jonathan Bernier, uh, I don't know. I, I think Nashville's way too balanced. You know, it, it's odd too. Nashville's top scorer for their team was only in the 60s for points. So they're a really balanced team. And I think that will work against Colorado having ha- had to ride Nathan McKinnon for a lot of the season. And, and, you know, props to him for almost getting to 100 for the season. But I, I don't think he can win you a series. And Varlamov would have helped in that case. But I don't think he's going to be back for another yeah. couple of weeks. I think that's a as much as I'm I'm sort of pulling for the Avalanche to on this improbable playoff run. I agree, Nashville's just too balanced and deep, um, and they should probably win that in in five at the most. I'd say, but I actually look at the another Western Conference matchup: uh, the Winnipeg Jets against a Minnesota team that just lost their best defenseman in Ryan Suter for the rest of the season. And to me, that one looks like a series where Winnipeg may just run away with with the series. Even without Ryan Suter, you put together the team that is known for not showing up when it comes to the playoffs and the coach that's known for choking every game seven away in Bruce Boudreau that I think it spells a recipe for disaster for them playing the Winnipeg Jets. And not to discredit anything Winnipeg's done. Winnipeg is, frankly, one of the strongest teams out there. I think that just Minnesota's situation is so unfortunate. Uh, even with the Suter injury, they're going to have to go back to the drawing board. So we just talked about 
the West now. Why don't we hit up the East? We've certainly got some great matchups there between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, uh, New Jersey playing um, Tampa Bay, and Washington and Columbus. What do you guys think about the East playoffs? Yeah, I think the East is, uh, while still exciting, not quite as exciting as some of the matchups out West. I look at Tampa Bay and the New Jersey Devils, and while I think New Jersey will make it more of a series than maybe some people are predicting, I still expect Tampa Bay to win that series probably in five or six games, if I had to guess. Yeah, I think Tampa's going to have a a quick run through New Jersey. Uh, I don't know that it's going to be a clean sweep, but I I had the guesses in five games as well. Uh, Six only if there's somehow, uh, you know, a a bit of magic coming out of the Devils either. I think Kincaid's been playing well, so he's going to be a challenge for Tampa, but I don't know that New Jersey has the defense to slow them down much. So I think that's going to be the the strong point. I don't know. I see Tampa advancing, but I see it being a little bit more of a challenge. I think that Tampa, as we talked about with our guests on the first edition of Unsupervised, they've kind of stagnated and they kind of need a jump start. So it might take a game or two for Tampa to go, oh, wow, it's the playoffs. We got to turn it up. So I think that New Jersey might give them fits for a little bit before it ends up a Tampa win. You never know. Taylor Hall may just drag his team into a couple postseason wins as well so maybe it will be more exciting than I gave it credit for but uh, I definitely see Tampa Bay winning that round whether it's in four five six or seven yeah the the defensive depth on Tampa is why I don't think that it's going to go too long but I mean there are certainly some other incredible matchups too we got to absolutely take a look at Philadelphia and Pittsburgh the cage match that that's going to be the rivalry in um, Philadelphia and in Pennsylvania in general. Absolutely incredible draw for them. Yeah, I mentioned earlier, that's one of the ones I'm most excited for. I think that may be one of the toughest, um, most drawn-out playoff series as well. I could totally see that one going uh, either way. Yeah, Pittsburgh and Philly is going to be, I thought, a quick run-through for Pittsburgh as well. And I only say that because... You know, the uh, the Flyers have the tough decision of if Ryan Elliott, you know, somehow is able to come back, then he's just going to be fresh out of, you know, no gameplay. So do you have to go to your what ended up being your third in Peter Morozik, though not necessarily a third on the depth chart? Um, I think we just forget too easily that the Penguins are still two-time defending champs and they're going to know exactly what it takes because – a lot of the roster is pretty similar to what it's been the last couple of years. I mean, Pittsburgh is Pittsburgh. You take a look at what happened the last two times they won the cup. They come into the playoffs with a lot of momentum and they just keep rolling. So it's really tough for me to pick against a team like that. However, I actually am. I think that Philly is going to end up taking this series. They are really riding the hot hand right now. As much as goaltending is an issue with whether you go with Brian Elliott, Michael Neuver, Alex Lyon, Peter Mrazek, you got a lot of issues there. I think their offense is absolutely unstoppable. Claude Giroux has played himself into the heart nominations at the very least for the end of the regular season. So I'm going with Philly in this one. Yeah, that one, I'm definitely looking forward to that matchup. And then last but not least, uh, we have the Washington Capitals and the Columbus Blue Jackets, I don't think that one's going to be too competitive. 
which means, of course, it'll go seven games and I'll be proven wrong. But uh, if I had to take a pick here, I'm, I'm going with the Capitals to advance to the second round. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. I had the Capitals. Um, I had this round going a little bit longer in, compared to my previous predictions. I think this one's going to go six. Um, and I only say that because Columbus, like some of the stronger teams in both conferences, has been playing relatively balanced. I mean, our, our Timmy Panarin has been leading that offense for a while. But other than that, they play a more consistent and balanced game. And I think the Capitals struggle with that if they can't run and gun with Kuznetsov and, and Ovechkin, that they're going to struggle with the slower pace or the, the grinded out games. I agree with you guys that I think Nashville or not, um, that Washington is going to take this. But here's an issue that I've got that is going to come up and what's going to make this a really interesting series to watch. Whatever Barry Trotz is doing with goaltending, I believe he's starting Philip Grubauer game one over Braden Holtby. That's a little nuts considering how incredible a playoff Braden Holtby is. He has been pretty pedestrian this season, but, I mean, if playoff Holtby shows up, I don't know how you not play him. Yeah, yeah that was, was, sorry, that was a question mark for me too. And I was, you know, a few days ago, I would have figured that Holtby was going to have the start for sure. Like it wasn't even in the back of my mind that Grubauer might get it. And that is, uh, it, that's another, you know, riding the hot hand, so to speak. If if Philly has issues, then it doesn't look like, it, you wouldn't call it much of a controversy here if it was the other way, but it's it's kind of strange to see Grubauer take that seat. Yeah, on one hand, I can totally understand what uh, Trotz is doing, going with the player who's had the better year. But on the other hand, Braden Holtby is, I, I want to say, I think he actually has the uh, one of the top three best career postseason numbers for a goaltender. So even though he's not having a strong year, it's a, definitely a bold move by the Capitals to go um, with Grubauer and that. But we'll see, I still think, regardless of, um, which goalie they ride, the Capitals should be advancing to the second round. Well, I think we're certainly in for an exciting first round regardless. All of the matchups that we talked about are incredible, and there's no shortage of storylines, no shortage of firepower. It's absolutely going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, no argument here. So we want to thank a few people for the work that they've put in going into the second episode. Uh, first off, we want to thank Al Sanic. He's been an incredible help for us making that amazing custom theme you heard in the beginning of the podcast. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Pride and Power One and on SoundCloud at SoundCloud.com slash Al Kemic, A-L-C-H-E-M-I-C. Al, thank you so much again for working with us. We really love the custom entry that you made for us. Uh, we want to thank everyone on the Stanley Cup of Chowder staff. Um, we're working to get everyone as included as possible. You're going to start hearing a lot more voices from across the staff. We're working really hard to get this up and running in as productive a manner as possible. So we thank everyone's patience with us, and we can't wait to get as many people involved here and assure you guys what we all as a staff can do. Um, and lastly, we really want to thank you guys as listeners. There wouldn't be a podcast without people whose ears wanted to listen to it. So we want to thank you guys as Bruins fans, as hockey fans, as however you came to find Unsupervised. We thank you for tuning in and listening all the way through and giving us as much feedback as you can to make ourselves better each and every episode. So that's it for episode two of Standing Cup of Chowder's Unsupervised podcast. Alongside Colin Beswick and Adam Denhard, I'm Jake Reiser. Get ready. It's playoff time.